what a joy it is to uh, to look at these. Because there's a day of reckoning coming when God will set everything aright. All the evils in the world. You know, the, I think the worst thing to hear today is for a Christian is the world's out of control. This world is not out of control. For the Christian, this world is falling in place. Everything's falling in place for us. I was reading a thing today by Jonathan Edwards, who I said for years, uh, he put it more eloquently, but this side of heaven, this is, this is the closest to heaven and the best it's going to be for those outside of Christ. This, this is the worst it's going to be for us in Christ. This is not our home. Gird yourselves, verse 13 of chapter 1 of Joel. Gird yourselves and lament, you priests. Wail, you minister before the altar. Come lie all night in sackcloth, you who minister to my God. For the grain offering and drink offering are withheld from the house of your God. Consecrate a fast. Call sacred assembly. Gather the elders and all the inhabitants of the land in the house of the Lord your God and cry out to the Lord. Cry out to him. We talked about last week about repentance. True repentance, and I think we mentioned this on Sunday too, true repentance brings actual glory to God. In true repentance, we realize how glorious and how righteous he is. And God is calling these people for the last time to repent, gather yourselves together, consecrate a feast. Let's see if I can uh, just real quick look at something that has impacted me. Isaiah, he's saying, cry aloud and spare not. Lift up your voice like a trumpet. Tell my people their transgression in the house of Jacob their sins. Yet they seek me daily and delight to know my ways as a nation that did righteousness and did not forsake the ordinance of their God. They ask of me the ordinance of justice. They take delight in approaching God. Why have we fasted, they say, and you have not seen? Why have we been afflicted in our souls and you take no notice? In the day, the fact of your fast, you find pleasure. Indeed, you fast for strife and debate, strike with the fists of wickedness. You will not fast as you do this day to make your voice heard on high. Is this a fast I have chosen, a day for a man to afflict his soul? Is it to bow down his head like a bulrush and spread his sackcloth like ashes? No, this is the fast that I call to. The fast that I have chosen to loose the bonds of wickedness, to undo the heavy burdens, to let the press go free, and that you break every yoke, to share your bread with the hungry, and, and so forth. Give your clothes to the naked. Then your light shall break forth like the morning, and your healing shall spread forth speedily, and your righteousness shall go before you, and this, get this, and then the glory of the Lord shall be your rear guard. Then you shall call, and the Lord will answer you shall cry, and he will say, here I am. Wow. God is sending warning after warning after warning to his people because he loves them, and they are constantly laughing. Judgment isn't coming. Wait a minute. 
No, I paid my, my grain vows. I did all the things I did, and God should be pleased. God is not pleased because their heart is far from him. They are not offering their selves unto him. They are offering things. We're back to Cain again. We're offering things. We're not offering our heart. Verse 15, alas for the day, for the day of the Lord is at hand. Now again, we must understand that the day of the Lord was, was enacting on these locusts that were, that were just creating havoc. They were wiping away everything, which was a picturesque of the day of the Lord. But nonetheless, I think I mentioned this last week, the day of the Lord is used five times, just in the three chapters of Joel, five times. We'll see it in the book of uh, how Peter used this in the book of Acts. It's confusing to some people. We'll see that if we have time. The Lord used it five times in Joel. Again, it's in the 15th verse right here. Chapter 2, verse 1. Chapter 2, verse 11. Chapter 2, verse 31. And then chapter 3, verse 14. The day of the Lord. You know, the day of the Lord is not the day of Christ. The day of Christ is the blessing of the rapture, the blessed hope of the church. The day of the Lord is always used in judgment. So the day of the Lord begins right after. We can follow this all through the Word of God. This will become very crystal clear as we go through the prophets. By the time we end up in Malachi, this will be crystal clear that the day of the Lord begins right after the rapture, the catching away of the saints. Through the tribulation and the great tribulation period, the setting up of Christ's thousand-year literal kingdom to the great white throne judgment on the way to the new heavens and the new earth. Some people put it this way. The day of the Lord is when God directly intervenes in the affairs of men. He's going to allow this, this peace treaty to be set up after he snatches the church away, catches this church away. You know, And I, I like to look at the rapture of the church, not only scientifically from the Bible, but logically from the Bible. You know, many people laugh at it. Well, that's just a crutch that you're using to get out. It's kind of like fire insurance, you know. No, it's not. It's a loving God fulfilling his word. It's a loving God promising blessed hope to his saints. Comfort. Hey, we go through tribulation now. Jesus said, in this world, you will have tribulation. Peter can crutch. I've overcome the world. Where tribulation means friction. We have it. If we follow Christ, <clears throat> believe me, we'll have the friction here. That's not what we're talking about here. The, those saints are caught away. And that time, whether there's that, that interval, a little bit of time before, before this, this peace treaty is enacted, these three and a half years of, of false safety, of, of a, a preparatory time for the, the Jews to carry on their sacrifices and what have you. Also, I believe it's a preparatory time to the, the armies of the north to prepare their horrendous assault on Israel. You can read that as Ezekiel 38, 39, and so forth. But nonetheless, God allows us time. And then we know at the, at the middle of that, in, in, right in the middle of the day of the Lord, if you will, the tribulation period, this man, this beast, 
sets himself up, and I'm getting a little ahead of myself, but this is exciting. This is what's going to happen, and it's heading there at an astronomically swift pace. This man was already calling in the UN for a, a, a leadership. This man is going to set himself up, and he's going to say, you know what, I'm it. Okay? And tell the whole world, I'm it. I'm God. And that is when the worst time, Jesus said, that's ever been or ever will be, will fall on this world. Catastrophic events in the cosmos, cruelty, persecution like the Jews have never seen, and so on. I ask you, will we be there? Will we be there? No. And how do we know that? Well, Revelation 19, one of them, we're going to see here, down here in a little ways, that uh, we will be coming back with him. Talked about so many times before. A wonderful verse. Starting at uh, the 11th verse of chapter 19 of Revelation. We will be coming back with him. But nonetheless, let's, let's, let's get into that. The day of the Lord. Look at chapter 2. Blow the trumpet in Zion. And sound an alarm in my holy mountain. Remember when he had Hosea, Hosea 8 1? Set the trumpet to thy, to thy mouth. Something that's going to be heralded here. Be following the Bible of trumpets. God is getting attention. Blow the trumpet in Zion, sound an alarm in my holy mountain. Let all the inhabitants of the land tremble, for the day of the Lord is coming, for it is at hand. Wow. I think when we look at, at all the different types of descriptions of the day of the Lord, we better realize that the Lord is, is saying that there is a day coming that is terrible, that makes these locust plagues and everything else seem like a dress rehearsal. Obadiah, the 15th verse, says this, For the day of the Lord is upon all nations is near. As you have done, it shall be done to you. Your reprisal or your reward shall return upon your own head. You know, one thing that Obadiah and these minor prophets have in common is they they all speak of the judgment of the Lord. That day is coming. And what's so interesting about this is, is that when we understand rightly what's going to happen in the end times, we understand rightly how we're to act in this age. You know, rightly dividing the word of truth is not just saying, well, I know the, little, the doctrines and the correct doctrines of the word. You know, the virgin birth, Jesus atoning for our sins, dying on the cross, raising again, literally sending bodily into, into heaven, coming back in that same manner and so forth. Rightly dividing the word of truth is taking the prophets and discerning the signs of the times through the prophets so that we can discern the time, sign of the times that we're in and we can also understand what they call eschatology or, or end time scenario, which uh, a lot of people are ignorant of. And, and it might be because they're just ignorant or uh, they've never been exposed to it, or what have you. There's many different facets of it. 
Blow the trumpet in Zion. Sound alarm on my holy hill. And, and another thing I want to do real quick. This is, this is phenomenal. Um, I really have felt that it is my duty uh, to really sound an alarm to this system that is, uh, that is known as replacement theology. Because there are people that are proclaiming it and they're doing great, dis- great dishonoring to the Word of God. They're dividing the body of Christ like nothing before. You know, there's been people that have argued for centuries about the rapture, when it's going to happen. We shouldn't divide over, over fellowship on those issues. But when you have people coming in saying, Israel is, is, is of no more, Okay, well, they blew it in AD 70. Uh, all the promises have, have now belonged to the church, and the church is going to be the chief prerogative on earth and in heaven. The church is not only going to be a co-reign and a co-heir with Christ, but they're also going to be the ones that are going to be the theratic agents, if you will, if there is a millennium. But then now you have ones that say that, that propose amillennialism, which means no millennium, no thousand years, and they try to match that. Can't you see the problem here? The discourse with the Word of God. No wonder there's so many ignorant, stumbling Christians that can't really stand on anything because they don't have anything to stand on. Look at verse 2. A day of darkness and gloominess. Wow. A day of clouds and thick darkness like the morning clouds spread over the mountains. A people come great and strong, the like of whom has never been, nor there will ever be any such after them, even for many successive generations. A fire devours, verse 3, before them, and behind them a flame burns. Look at this. A land is like the Garden of Eden before them, and behind him a desolate wilderness. Surely nothing shall escape them. Remember, we're talking about the, the severity of these locusts, literally, where that they left nothing behind them. Nothing at all. This is a preparatory picture of what it's going to be in the last days. Armageddon. Unless God had intervened, there would be nothing left and that is a strong argument for Israel. A strong argument. My elect, for the sake of my elect, I'm shortening those days. The elect he's talking about in this context is not us. We're with him. We've been caught up. We're with him. We're coming back with him, so we're with him. His elect, and we'll see from Zechariah. I <laughs> this is absolutely phenomenal. We will see from elect, from Zechariah and other passages, the elect are his people. For the sake of his elect, the days will be shortened. That's one of the reasons why there's so much anti-Semitism in the world. That little tiny piece of real estate is the center spot of this world. Wow. It'll be like the Garden of Eden before and behind them a desolate wilderness. Again, surely nothing shall escape. Look at verse 4. Their appearance is like the appearance of horses. This is where it starts getting interesting, folks. Their appearance, what appearance? The locusts, the invading army, is like the appearance of horses and like swift steeds, so they run. We'll go to verse 5. We'll get back to it. With a noise like chariots over the mountaintops, they leap like the noise of a flaming fire that devours the stubble like a strong people set in battle array. 
Revelation chapter 9, verses 3 and 7. Listen to this. Then out of the smoke, locusts came upon the earth. And to them was given power, as the scorpions of the earth have power. The shape of the locusts was like horses prepared for battle. On their heads were crowns of something like gold, and their faces were the faces of men. Why do we know that we are just taking things out of context? Well, the Bible is its best commentary. When we're getting down a little bit more into Joel, we're going to see how Peter uses these passages in Joel. He doesn't, he goes so, he, he uses part of the passage that's happening in that time and yet saves the rest of the time where his master, the Lord Jesus Christ, said there's going to be a time coming when there's going to be catastrophic things happening in the heavens and we'll get there. We don't take anything out of context that is not explained elsewhere in context. We want to keep understanding of how, you know, how the prophets are speaking. I love one commentator said this way, a prophet will pick up his pen and God will use him, or as Peter says, he will he will speak to the Holy Ghost, he moved the holy prophets, he'll set down his pen, and hundreds of years later, a prophet will pick up his pen and God will carry him through. It's absolutely wonderful. There is no way mathematics and mathematicians have not found a number big enough to the nth power to, to equate no possibility that the Bible could be written by men. This is an utter impossibility. And rightly dividing the word of truth and seeing the word unfold in all parts of the word proves this. And it is a joy and rejoicing the heart. That is what Jeremiah said, when I found thy word, I ate it, and it was the rejoicing of my heart. Job said the same thing about food. I love the word of God more than my necessary food. It just, it causes the soul to leap for joy. Their appearance, again back in, in verse 4, it's like the appearance of horses. They're swift. Locusts came out of the smoke upon the earth. John saw in, in, his, in his vision of, of these things. The shape of the locusts like horses prepared, prepared for battle. Verse 5, with a noise like chariots over mountaintops, they leap like the noise of flaming fire that devours the stubble like a strong people set in battle array. Read the ninth uh, chapter of, of Revelation, and it's stunning how the prophets all agree that, well, it is, it is stunning. Verse 6, Before them the people wither in pain. All faces are drained of color. They run like mighty men. They climb the wall like men of war. Everyone marches in formation. They do not break ranks. They do not push one another. Everyone marches in his own column. Though they lunge between the weapons, they are not cut down. They run to and fro in the city. They run on the wall. They climb into houses. They enter at the windows like a thief. This is chaos. Verse 10, the earth quakes before them. The heavens tremble. The sun and the moon grow dark. And the stars diminish their brightness. Wow. Wow. Keep your finger right there. Turn, if you will, to Matthew 20, 20, chapter 24, verse 29. Matthew chapter 24, starting at verse 29. Now remember, this will be repeated 
in chapter 3, or excuse me, at the end of chapter 2, I'm getting ahead of myself. The, the day of the Lord in this scenario will be repeated, as we'll see as we progress here. But again, look at verse 10. The earth quakes before them, the heavens tremble, the sun and the moon grow dark, and the stars diminish their brightness. Let me read verse 11 real quick. The Lord gives voice before his army. We'll get into that. For his camp is very great. For strong is the one who executes his word. For the day of the Lord is great and very terrible. Who can endure it? Matthew chapter 24, this is the Lord Jesus Christ, verse 29, immediately after the tribulation of those days, the sun will be darkened and the moon will not give its light, the stars will fall from heaven and the powers of the heavens will be shaken. Then the Son of Man will appear in heaven and then all the tribes of the earth will mourn and they will see the Son, son of Man coming on the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. Now, before we go on to verse 31, let's put it in context here. Immediately after the tribulation of those days, the sun will be dark and the moon will not give its light. The stars will fall from heaven. The powers of heaven will shake it. And then the Son of Man, who's going to be with the Son of Man, riding on, on white horses, following him? Well, we're going to see here in a little bit. It's us. Verse 30, then the sign of the Son of Man will appear in heaven. Then all the tribes of the earth will mourn, and they will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of heaven with power and glory. Look at verse 31. And he will send his angels with the great sound of a trumpet. And they will gather together his elect from, one, from the four winds from one end of heaven to the other. People think, well, surely that's the saints. No, it's not, folks. Taken into context, uh, keep your finger right there and turn to, <laughs> turn to Zechariah 2 6. I, I hope this isn't confusing. I want you to know to see how the Bible just comes together. Zechariah 2 6. Also, Nehemiah chapter 1, verse 9 also has a hint of this as well. Zechariah chapter 2, verse 6, Up, up, flee from the land of the north, says the Lord, for I have spread you abroad like the four winds of heaven, says the Lord. And then in context, talking about Zion, talking about his people, get away, get away, get up, get up. He sent me after his glory. The nations will plunder you, and so forth. And at the last part of verse 8 right there, he says, Who touches you touches the apple of his eye. You also look into verse first chapter of Nehemiah, he also talks about the four winds of heaven. These are talking about his people. But specifically, I picked this verse in Zechariah 2.6 because they're like the four winds of heaven. And we can start to see that the Lord is concerned about his people. The Lord is coming back to rescue his people. Wow. That is phenomenal. Back in Joel. So after in verse 10 of chapter 2, he's talking about how the sun and the moon grow dark and so forth. Look at verse 11. The Lord gives voice before his army, for his camp is very great, for strong is the one who executes his word. The day of the Lord is great and very terrible. 
Who can endure it? You know, this Lord's army, who is this? What is this? Okay, taken in context, we have a con we have we have a catastrophic happening here. We're at the end of the tribulation. We have the Lord's people that are absolutely surrounded, and they're gonna they're coming to annihilation. They need a savior. The savior comes back. We know from the fact that we are with him and coming back with him. But who is this Lord's army? Keep your finger there. Go to Revelation 19. Wow. We've read this passage many times. We, we looked at it closer when we, we were in the book of Revelation. But Revelation 19.11. So right after we read at the last part of, of verse 10, where the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy, look what John sees, verse 11. Now I saw heaven open, and behold, a white horse. And he who sat on him was called faithful and true, and in righteousness does he judge and make war. We can go back to... Uh, Matthew chapter 24, and get fit that right into our verses where you, then you'll see the sign of the Son of Man. He's coming. We, he, his eyes, verse 12, were like a flame of fire, and on his head were many crowns. He had a name written that no one know but except himself. Verse 13, he was clothed with a robe, dipped in blood, and his name is called the Word of God. We know beyond a shadow of a doubt that's Jesus Christ, the victor, the, the Messiah, the true Messiah of Israel, our Savior, coming back with him. Look at verse 14. And the armies in heaven, clothed in fine linen, white and clean, followed him on white horses. And out of his mouth, verse 15, goes a sharp sword that he should smite or strike the nations. And he himself will rule them with a rod of iron. He himself tread, treads the winepress of the fierceness of the wrath of Almighty God. And he on his robe and on his thigh has a name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. That is appropriate at this time. King of Kings and Lord of Lords. When the kings of the East, the kings of the world, set up against him. He's the King of Kings. Look at verse 17. Then I saw an angel standing in the sun. I love this. And he cried with a loud voice, saying to all the birds that fly in the midst of heaven, Come and gather together for the supper of the great God. Wow. Verse 18, that you may eat the flesh of kings, flesh of captains, the flesh of mighty men, the flesh of horses, those who sit on them, and the flesh of all people, free and slave, both great and small. Verse 19, and I saw the beast, the kings of the earth, and their armies gathered together to make war against him who sat on the horse and against his army. That is the cause of one of the vials. I think it's the fifth vial. I'm not sure. That the member, the spirits of these frogs were released, and the, these one they they were satanically controlled, and they were calling the kings of the east to come together. To, that's after the Euphrates was dried up to come across the Euphrates to the Valley of Megiddo to to the final climactic battle. This is not only only tyranny against God. This is anger, and this is sin, and this is wickedness, and the the deceitfulness of human heart all gathered into one. So you can, you can imagine the setting here. And God has his angel, again, who does his bidding, stand in the sun and say, he calls all of the, 
all of the fowls together to come and sup on all the slain. And the slain is going to be not only mighty men, but men of low degree, both small and free, both slave, non-slave. Look at verse 19. And I saw the beast, the kings of the earth, again, and their armies gathered together to make war against him who sat on the horse and against his army. Are you kidding me? That is, that is how pompous and arrogant men can get. Wow. He's going to make war against him who sat on the horse and against his army. Again, this army is perfectly described of who this army is that are coming back with him. And the end. <laughs> We aren't going to, there's not going to be much fighting. There's going to be annihilation. Wow. <clears throat> that is amazing. The Lord's army. So back in Joel chapter 2. Again, verse 11, the Lord gives voice before his army. For his camp is very great. For strong is the one who executes his word. For the day of the Lord is great and very terrible. Who can endure it? You know, these next verses down, repentance again comes in view. This is God. Judgment. The prophets were telling judgment's falling, yet God is still pleading. Look at, look at verse, we'll go through, we've got a few more minutes. Now, therefore, verse 12 says, The Lord, turn to me with all your heart, with fasting, with weeping, and with mourning. Ezekiel says in Ezekiel 33, listen to this. Say to them, as I live, says the Lord God, I have no pleasure in the death of the wicked, but that the wicked turn from his way and live. Wait a minute. People say, well, that's not me. Yes, it is. People say, well, Jeremiah 17, 9, that the heart is deceitful above all else. Well, surely not my heart. Surely not your heart. Yes. And he says, I have no pleasure in the death of the wicked, but that the wicked turn from his way and live. Turn, turn from your evil ways. For why should you die, O house of Israel? See, the fact that he says, turn, turn, is the heart of repentance. What is repentance? It turning from your sin to Christ, for turning from, from the, the impending judgment to God that he may have mercy upon them. That's what he's doing. Wow. The day of the Lord is very terrible. I wanted to look at just a few passages. You don't have to turn there. But the day of the Lord, we can trace that really strongly starting from Isaiah. Actually, you can trace it strongly all through the Word, but Isaiah really really has a wonderful, not only vision of the coming kingdom, but the severity of the day of the Lord. For example, Isaiah chapter 2, verse 12 says, For the day of the Lord of hosts shall come upon everyone that is proud and lofty, upon everything lifted up, and it shall be brought low. Jeremiah, who was called the weeping prophet, um, 
he probably more than any other prophet discloses the heart of God, says this, listen to this in Jeremiah chapter 30, verse 7. He says, Alas, for that day is great, so that none is like it, and it is the time of Jacob's trouble, but he shall be saved out of it. We understand there's a time of coming called Jacob's trouble, and that's the last three and a half years of the tribulation period, and God promises that his remnant will be saved out of it, but they will go through chastisement like no other people. Wow. I get excited. Amos chapter 5, verse 18. These are all the prophets. Woe unto you. Listen to this. Amos says, Woe unto you who desire the day of the Lord. For what good is the day of the Lord to you? It will be darkness and not light. It will be as though a man fled from a lion and a bear met him. Or as though he went into the house and leaned his hand on the wall and a serpent bit him. Is not the day of the Lord darkness and not light? Is it not very dark and there's no brightness in it? Then he goes on to say, I despise your feasts. I despise your solemn assemblies. Because like the Lord Jesus, the chief of them all, God in human flesh says, they worship me with their lips and their heart is far from me. The last one I have as far as that is Zephaniah 1.15. Listen to this. That day is a day of wrath, a day of trouble and distress, a day of devastation and desolation, a day of darkness and gloominess, a day of clouds and thick darkness. Wow. This is not a day to be reckoned with. <laughs> and we are heading that way very, very quickly. You know, I think if you just read the prophets without reading the whole connective word, it would become unbearably sorrowful. But that's the whole point of, of reading the word in context, is we know that God is pleading, always, please, avert judgment. I set before you life and death. Please choose you life. And then there are those who say God does not give mankind a choice. Mankind doesn't have the free will to choose. How can that be? I can understand how any one of these prophets would be weeping at this. God is constantly pleading because that's who he is. He's merciful. He's kind. He's, but he's just and he's righteous. Those of you that, that are listening on, on, on the internet or here <laughs> that don't have Christ, let me tell you, God is pleading with you. Come to me. I've done everything for you. Come to me. I've taken your sin and I've heaped them upon my son and I slew him in judgment instead of you. And that's what he's saying to the nations, especially to his people. Turn from your wicked way. Is this not repentance? Verse 12, turn to me with all your heart, with weeping and fasting, with mourning. 
Listen, emotion doesn't always mean repentance, but emotion springing up from your heart in a contrition is. And that's the heart of repentance. Look at verse 13. So rend your heart and not your garments. Return to the Lord your God. He is gracious and merciful, slow to anger and great of great kindness. And he relents from doing harm. Time is short. You know, I think I'll stop here. I would love to continue to go on, but time is just... And I love everything that we do here on on Wednesdays, everything we talk about. We start out talking about the nations. We start out talking about what's going on in the news. I love that. Uh, That's why I asked Leon about the Middle East, because it is so relevant to what we're looking at here. The world is Satan's domain. And he is acting as the God of this age right now. And God is telling us in his word, he is constantly calling his people to repentance, to avert judgment, because the nations in the world, or of this world, I'll have that quote, I'll close with this quote as we started out Joel. The nations of this world today are in a direct collision course. This is from David Levy. That it will ultimately end in the Battle of Armageddon. That's what we're doing here. It's cultivating. The world is coming together. And it's ultimately going to end in the Battle of Armageddon. In detail, the prophet Joel explains the destiny of these nations as they relate to Israel in the coming day of the Lord. Rightly dividing the word of truth, understanding God's program in this world, we're going to be getting into a little bit later and if, if you could, before next Wednesday, uh, look at Acts chapter 15 and read it. And that, uh, you know, where it starts out where Paul and Silas come back, there was many, many people that were disputing on, no, it's, it's not just grace, you've got to have more. There was a lot of religious leaders, the Pharisees, that were saying, yeah, Jesus is the Messiah, we understand that, we, we, we acknowledge that. How can we not? If we just dig into our prophets, we will know that he is is the Messiah, but we still must be circumcised. You still must keep the law. No, no, no. So they came to the council. But then as we go, we're going to see that um, that James says an interesting thing, and he quotes Amos. And he says this, back in the prophets, he said, after this, quote, I will return and rebuild the tabernacle of David, which has fallen down. I will rebuild its ruins, and I will set it up so that the rest of mankind may seek the Lord, even all the Gentiles who are called by my name, and so forth. So after this, after, after the Gentiles come in, God is going to start his program with Israel again and rebuild the fallen house of, of David, of Jacob. Well, that's, that's peculiar. If Jacob's not there, how's God going to do this? If Jacob's not there, how's Jesus going to come back as, as the conquering Messiah and the Savior of his people? And on and on and on. Jesus must have been mistaken when he said, if those days hasn't been shortened for the sake of the elect, no man would, would live. He must have, been, must have been mistaken. No, men are mistaken. 
Men have taken the word of God and bent it to their own ideas, their own agendas, their own wants, their own desires, and they've left God out. And the prophets prove and correct that notion. Kim, you want to pray, please? Thank you, Father, for the lesson tonight. We realize that uh, the uh, for God's will of the world, God is the same uh, Lord of hosts, God, Lord of armies. Uh, and we give thanks that uh, by your grace we have responded to your word, to your message, to the good news. And uh, at that point, we are forever in your care and keeping thanks for that always in the name of Christ our Savior Amen, Amen.